23 that is often repeated by our kids that I'd like to uh, speak to this morning. And it's a prophetic message from Isaiah that speaks about the birth of our Savior. Amen? So with that said, let me read a couple of portions of Scripture to you. Uh, Isaiah 7:14 says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will call him Emmanuel. Then in Isaiah 9, 6 and 7, which the kids read this morning, it says, For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the greatness of his government, and peace there will be no end. Praise the Lord. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and holding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Now, in order to understand these prophecies, we have to understand that the historical setting between Isaiah 7-1 and 9-7, like other prophecies in Scripture, the message in Isaiah 7-14 would have a present and an, or a near-present fulfillment and a future or distant fulfillment. And it's often called the uh, dual fulfillment of prophetic messages. And we see this throughout Scripture. Now, our, our Bible student from the Old Testament is here, Sal. Uh, Antiochus Epiphanes was a type of the Antichrist. In this present case, the present or nearby prophecy was to King Aram. Now, the king, uh, northern, king of the northern kingdom of Israel and the king of Aram were attacking Judea, attacking Judah, attacking Jerusalem. And he was given a sign or word through the prophet Isaiah that Isaiah was going to have a son. And before that son reached a point of moral maturity, those kingdoms, those two kings would not, in fact, get in and destroy Jerusalem. And it occurred as it was uh, prophesied. The future of this prophecy was that a virgin would conceive and have a child, and they would call him Emmanuel, and we know that to be what? Our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen? So let's break down 714. And again, it reads, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign, the virgin will... The word here, virgin, is the Hebrew word Alma, which means a virgin. Church, no place in the scriptures of the Old Testament is this word used for a married woman. It is used for a young woman who is unmarried, hence a virgin. Back in that time, a young girl was a virgin until she was married, unlike today. All right? Sorry, couldn't resist. All right, so, uh, and if we look back, the word virgin is the use in the Jewish interpretation. When it was translated over into the Greek in the Septuagint, the word parthenos is used. And that's always used to describe a virgin. So this word Virgin is the word that it means, an, a young, unmarried girl who has never had any relations with a man. And listen to this with Martin Luther. I, I found this. Martin Luther made this theological challenge that has never been taken up by any scholar. If a Jew or Christian can prove to me that in any passage of Scripture that Alma means a married woman, I'll give him a hundred florins. And to this day, he has, not co no, he has not had to pay that debt. They have never found that this word means anything else but virgin in the scriptures. At this point, the discussion of this term is very important, and reason being, it points back to the first scripture concerning the coming of the Messiah, Genesis 3.15, when it says the seed of a woman will come and defeat the work of Satan. 
Now, usually when you speak of the seed, it's from the man. But this is the seed of a woman, speaking of the virgin who is going to have a child. And it's also important to understand that because the seed did not come from Adam, this one that was to come, that sin nature, would not be passed on to him. So we know that when Jesus is born, he has no sin nature, which is very important. As he lived this life, tempted in every way, yet without sin, he could be the perfect substitute for sin and take our place on the cross. So this term is very important. It just can't be shooed away. And they've tried to um, say that she was not a virgin. It has a different meaning, this word. It has to be as the Lord had put it forth, that he would come from a virgin. Amen? And let's go on now and look at the word Emmanuel, which means God with us. And listen carefully. The term, when it's used, is not referring to his proper name. What it's pointing to is his character and his mission. The coming of Jesus is the literal fulfillment of God as God with us, the incarnate Son of God become flesh. Jesus was 100% man and 100% God. Amen? And so he is the God incarnate. He is Emmanuel, God with us, walking amongst us. And uh, John it tells us what? He became flesh and made his dwelling amongst us. It tells us that in John 1.14. And church, listen carefully. God's promise of historical and physical deliverance that we saw under King Ahaz is important, but it does not supersede the spiritual deliverance that was coming in the second part of this prophecy, that the Son of God would come and deliver man from the greatest enemy, sin and Satan. Okay, so this prophecy is about a spiritual deliverance that would come by the birth of Emmanuel, who would go on to die an atoning, substitutionary death for the sins of the world. That's why Joseph, in a dream, it said, name him Jesus, Yeshua, which means the Lord saves, God is salvation, because it talked to his mission. That's why he's told to give this name, because Jesus would be the one who's going to come and save us from our sins. Listen to Matthew 1, 18 to 25, and the kids, uh, I believe, read it this morning. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together... She was found to be pregnant by the Holy Spirit because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law, yet he did not want to expose her to public disgrace. He intended to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. And if we jump down to verse 25, it says, uh, speaking of Joseph, but he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. God is going to save us. This is the Emmanuel who is going to come and save humankind from their sins and the grip of Satan. And remember what I said in the opening statement, that from chapter 7, verse 1 to 9, verse 7, speaks of this prophetic message. So the same child in 7-1, the coming of Emmanuel, we will now see fulfilled in chapter 9 what his role, what his calling is going to be. So let's read that again. Listen to what it says. This child, for unto us a child is born, a son is given, and the government shall be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the greatness of his government, and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne over his kingdom, upholding it in justice and righteousness. 
So let's break this down. In 9, 6, it starts off, For unto us a child is born. What's going, what Scripture is telling us here is that this child is going to step in. He will be fully human. Though 100% God, he is fully human. And that's so important. As he comes as 100% man, he is tempted in every way without sin, leans on the Holy Spirit because he can identify with us. He can empathize with us. When we are tempted, he understands. Okay, when things happen, he was hungry, he was thirsty. He can relate to us as humans and we can relate to him because in the same way he relied on the Spirit, we rely on the Spirit to make our journey through this life. Amen? And listen, the words to us refers to the world. He came to die for the sins of the world, to take every sin that ever was committed, is committed, will be committed upon himself on that cross on Calvary. But here's the deal. You have to believe into him to receive that forgiveness and receive him as the savior of your soul. It's just not a blanket. Oh, I came to die for the sins of the world. Everybody's covered. Uh -uh. He made the way for whosoever would want to believe into him. And the verse goes on to us and says, a son is given. Church, do you realize this is the greatest gift that Abba, our Father in heaven, gave us? He gave us his only begotten son to come into the world to save us from our sins. And it's not only around this time of the year, as Tim said, that we celebrate. We should celebrate every day that God sent His Son into the world and in Him we are saved. In Him we have eternal life. We should, as more than anybody, whatever life throws our and His kingdom is eternal and we'll be with Him forever. Amen? John 3.16, and I get nervous so I have to read it. God so loved the world, what did he do? He gave his only begotten son that whoever believes into him shall have eternal life. The father gave us his son from eternity past, knowing man would choose sin so that we could have eternal life. And then it goes on, it says, the government shall be on his shoulders. Family, the little child in the manger, the man who was hung on the cross, the one who resurrected three days later and ascended after 40 days, He's king of kings and he's lord of lords. Do you hear me? He's king of kings and lord of lords. And I have down here who's coming back. You realize that. He's coming back. He will set up his millennial kingdom. And when his current heavens and earth are passed away, it will be his eternal kingdom. His is the final kingdom. The last kingdom. One that would be based upon his shoulders and he sits next to uh, his father, at his father's right hand, and rule and reigns over all the created order. The government is on his shoulders, if you will. And then it goes on, it says, and oh, oh, I have down here, if you want, go home and read Revelation 1 and Revelation 21 and get a glimpse of our coming king. Hair, white as wool, eyes like blazing fire, a body that burns like bronze. This is not the man that hung on the cross. This is the King of kings and Lord of lords in all his glory. On that Mount of Transfiguration, his clothes became white, and the three apostles saw him, and when Peter got tongue-tied, oh, do you want us to build some boots for you guys? No, because they saw the glory of God. It's going to be amazing, and that's our God. And he shall be called. And let me explain something that the following terms speak to the Messiah's character and actions, his rule and reign over creation, wonderful, counselor. Look up that word wonderful, Thomas in the Greek, right? It means beyond our comprehension. 
we can, in our finite minds, understand this infinite God. He's wonderful. So even when Samson's dad, Manoah, is speaking to the angel, the angel of the Lord, which is a pre-incarnate Christ, and he says, what is your name? He says, it's wonderful. It's beyond your understanding who I am. So he is wonderful. He's beyond our comprehension and understanding. Don't put God in a box. He can do all things. We pray for those for cancer, right? We pray for our nation. We pray for unsaved loved ones. Don't put them in the box. He's beyond our understanding, beyond what he can, we think he can do or should do. And uh, family, the second person of the Godhead is the eternal God. He is the exact representation and radiance. See the Father. Amen? So this is our God, beyond our understanding, beyond our comprehension, yet he comes into the world. You saw the kids here with a message that even children can understand. God loves you. He came to forgive you, and he's taking you to heaven. He, the simplest and youngest child can understand it, and the most intellectual theologian can wrestle with the words and understand it. But it's a simple message. God sent his son into the world to save us from our sins so we can be with him forever in glory. It's a simple, simple message. Amen? And he is called Counselor. And why? Because the fullness of true wisdom and all knowledge dwells with him. He's omniscient. It's a non-communicable attribute of God. He is all-knowing. Listen to what Colossians 2.3 says about Jesus. In whom, in Jesus, are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. The very words of our Lord were the very words of life and salvation. That even as a boy, Remember when Joseph and Mary go up to Jerusalem for the feast and they take Jesus and they're leaving, the whole caravan's leaving and Jesus stays back. And after three days, they're like, oh man, where's Jesus? And they go back and where do they find him? In the temple. What did he say? Didn't you know I would be in my father's house? We're amazed at his teaching as a young boy, amazed at his teaching. Listen to Luke 2, 46 to 47. It says, after three days, they found him in the temple court sitting amongst the teachers listening to them and asking questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. Why? Because all knowledge and wisdom dwelt within him. Amen? And even his enemies, they couldn't believe it. They, they sent the guards to arrest Jesus. And they come back dumbfounded. And they're like, hey, where's the guy we sent you to arrest? Listen to what they say in John 7, 46. No one ever spoke the way this man does. They were amazed at his teachings that they forgot to arrest him. Aha, forgot. Sovereignty of God. But we have some practical applications for us this morning. He knows every one of our heartaches. He knows all our desires. He knows every situation of our life. He is omniscient. Nothing takes him by surprise, and because we are his children, he cares for us in and through those situations. And the other beauty part of this is, the second part of this, is through the Holy Spirit. We have access to the wisdom of God. The philosophers of this age, they go on with all these silly philosophies and sociologies and psychologies, yet we have the true wisdom to be given to you. We can approach situations in prayer and seek the wisdom of God through the power of the Holy Spirit, and God will lead us. And we can trust Him that even when things aren't so good, He's working all things out for our good out of his omniscience, out of his omnipotence. Amen? Praise the Lord. 
And as we go on to verse 6, it's called Mighty God. And uh, Liz Elgabor, the Mighty God. The only time that term is used in old, uh, the Old Testament scriptures, Elgabor, the Mighty God, is to point to Jehovah God. So this one who came in the flesh is Almighty God come in the flesh. Amen? He is... Uh, Clears that this is man born into humanity as the almighty God who has clothed himself in flesh. By stating this, Isaiah is emphatically declaring the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ, that he is in fact God come in the flesh. Listen to John 1, 1 to 3. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. He is the mighty creator with the Father and the Holy Spirit who made the heavens and the earth. That's who came and dwelled in human flesh. Amen? The mighty God walking amongst us. And he's also called the everlasting Father. Now, as we read this, it can become perplexing. Please do never walk out of here with the oneness theory, that there's one God, he manifests himself. No, there are three persons and the Holy Spirit. The Son is distinct from the Father. But listen carefully. He's the same in character and essence. That's why in Romans it says Jesus is the exact representation. He is the radiance of the Father. And that's why Jesus could say, I and the Father are one, because in essence and character they are exactly the same. There's no difference. Is there a hierarchy there? Yes, but there's no difference in character and essence. And it's um, like the Father. Jesus loves us like a loving Father. He cares for us that way as his children the ones that he died for. The love he has for us is beyond our comprehension, beyond our understanding. Amen? And then he's also called the Prince of Peace. And I'm going to camp here for a minute. Very simply, Lord, uh, Church, the Messiah Jesus would establish peace, seek peace, and pursue peace. There are four types of peace that the Lord brings us. First of all, a peace with God. Read Romans. We've been reconciled to God. That reconciliation is that we've been made at peace between God and man. We were under his wrath. We deserved his judgment. We were enemies of God. But now in Christ, we're reconciled to God and have peace with God. And in that, as his children, and I don't want to go on and on and on, but as his children, how he loves us and cares for us because we have peace. One to 2a. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. Peace with God. And then second, we have the peace of God. Do you realize, as the Holy Spirit dwells in our heart, that fruit of the Spirit, peace, that no matter what comes our way, we can stand on the fact that God is with us. He dwells within us, and we can have that peace. I don't know how the world does it in the times that we live in. It's chaos. That's why we see the opioid addiction. It's why we see an increase in suicides and all these things and addictions to ease the pain. We have the truth, and we have peace of God in our spirit. Amen? Listen to Philippians 4, 7. And the peace of God, ready, which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and mind in Christ Jesus. All are understand. We don't understand it. The world doesn't understand it. But many of us have been in situations and all of a sudden, that peace of God comes over us no matter how tough the situation is because we know who's got it and know who's got us in the midst of it. Amen? And the third is this. We have the ability to have peace with men. And what I have here, if we're willing to humble ourselves, 
and apply God's word and not let pride and haughtiness get in the way when we are offended, we don't have to get our backs up because we can have peace with men through the Holy Spirit to take that servant position, to have that calmness about us that we can ease the fire instead of adding to it. Amen? We can have peace with all men if we walk and speak and do like Jesus did. You want to get your back up and have an attitude and be haughty and prideful? That's not Jesus. Humility, compassion. Amen? And the fourth, woohoo! ready? Oh, wait, I'm sorry. I got ahead of myself. Philippians 2, 3 and 5, one of my favorite scriptures. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in what? Humility. Value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but to the interest of others. In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset of, of Christ Jesus. And it goes on to say that he humbled himself and became a man and died on the cross of Calvary. All right? And fourth, which I gave the woohoo about, there's going to come a day when it's eternal peace and we'll be in God's kingdom forever. Can you imagine? No strife, n- no conflict, no impeachment hearings. It's going to be wonderful. Peace, perfect peace. An eternal kingdom, no death, no dying, no heartache, no conflict, no strife, no sin. And that's what we have to look forward to. And that's why in uh, the end, peace to those on whom his favor rests. Connie, you have peace with God. Teresa, you have the peace of God. Sal, you can have peace with other men. And all of us have the peace of knowing we will be in that eternal kingdom forever. Amen? Praise the Lord. All right, you guys are real excited about this Christmas message. I see we're almost there. All right, verse 9-7 opens up with a statement of the greatness of the government and peace there will be no end. Church, over thousands. I I read something where they said there's been over 14,000 wars since man has kept records in history. The carnage, especially in the 20th century. But they have emerged, and every kingdom that has risen has emerged and faded away. But there's one kingdom that started with 12 men following an itinerant preacher who was the Messiah and King and Lord Jesus Christ. And his kingdom has been growing since that first century and will go on through eternity. And it will never end. Never end. His kingdom has been growing. And the difference between his kingdom and the kingdoms of the world, the kingdoms of the world built their kingdoms on war and fear and uh, submission He built his on grace and mercy and love. And into his kingdom, he offers it freely if we will only receive it by faith. He says, come to my kingdom, the one that's going to last return and mercy and love for humankind. Come, enter, and you can come in. And it will last forever. It will never fade away. And Jesus a descendant of King David fulfills that prophetic message in 2 Samuel that one from David's throne will sit on the throne, one from David's line will sit on the throne from forever. Listen to Luke 132 and 33, speaking of Jesus. He will be great and will be called Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. That's what we have to look forward to. And listen to what verse 7 says. Continue. It says, Establishing it and holding it, upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. 
Again, church, historically, tyrants and dictators of the world made their kingdoms by oppression and fear. But Jesus is building his kingdom on righteousness and justice, and it will be perceptual and perpetual attribute of his kingdom. Righteousness and justice. Amen? Family, through his atoning and redemptive work on the cross, Jesus satisfied the justice of God. Completely satisfied. And he made a way for us to be made righteous in the Father's eyes. By being in Christ, we are clothed in his righteousness that we can now be part of his kingdom. For justice and righteousness will be those things that outline the eternal kingdom. And finally, at the end of verse 7, it says this, the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Family, there are a few things that the Lord has a zeal about. One is his name. Second is his word. Third are his people. He's going to accomplish this. He cannot lie. What he says will be fulfilled will be fulfilled. Just as the first coming has been fulfilled, the second coming will be fulfilled. There will be a heaven, and there will be perfect peace and righteousness where the eternal king reigns over. Amen? He's all-powerful. He doesn't lie and has both the power and integrity to accomplish all that he says in his word. And we should stand on that and rejoice. Amen? And the way he accomplished this was actually also outlined by the prophet Isaiah if we jump all the way up into the 53rd chapter and listen to what it reads, speaking of our Lord Jesus. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us healed. We all like sheep have gone astray, speaking to us all being sinners. Each has turned his own way. And the Lord is what? Allayed our iniquity of us all on him. And in verse 10, Yet was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days, and the, Lord, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. And finally, in the fulfillment of his earthly ministry, Jesus justified the perfect, uh, fulfilled the perfect justice and holiness of God the Father and was able to justify us and make us righteous. Listen to verse 11 and 12. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many. Look around, guys. You're the justified. And will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great. He will divide the spoils with the strong because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. He bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. And that's how we can have the peace of God, peace with God, and have entrance into his eternal kingdom because Jesus came, took all that pain and punishment and judgment on himself, and whoever believes into him has all that the scriptures promise. Amen? So let me close with this with some concluding applications. First of all, we must understand that from eternity past, knowing man would choose to only begotten son, the second person of the Godhead into the world to redeem mankind and reconcile us back to the Father, to bring that peace with the Father. And all we have to do is receive by faith. That's what we celebrate this Christmas season, the coming of the Savior into the world. And second is this, that in eternity future, the babe that was born in the manger, the God-man who died on the cross, will sit as King of kings and Lord of lords over all heaven and earth, and as part of our Christmas celebration, 
we should rejoice in that also. He's coming back to take us to his eternal kingdom. We remember his first coming and celebrate that. Resurrection Sunday, we celebrate what he did, but always do we celebrate the hope that we have in him, that he's coming back to take us to be where he is. The question for all of us is, where are you? What is your relationship with the babe who at one time was in the manger, the man who was on the cross, resurrected from the dead, and is exalted into heaven? And listen, is soon to come back and establish his earthly kingdom. Have you truly and sincerely committed your life to, his save, to him as being Savior and Lord? And if your answer is yes, then rejoice with all your heart. Read this gift, the best gift. I don't care what anybody gives you this Christmas. It can never come down to the free gift given by the Father, the Lord Jesus Christ, and our eternal life. And for all of us, let's, let us please keep Christ and Christmas. Keep them at the center of your hearts and give them away. Give them away. Freely we received, freely let's give it away. That's what I said before. Witness, share Jesus. Share Jesus in the midst of everybody eating like Gavones or drinking their wine or doing whatever. Share Jesus, amen? Share the gift. And I'm going to leave you with something that I actually have a t-shirt. I was thinking about wearing it, but I like my red and green. All right? And it says this. God did not place his greatest gift under the tree. He placed it on the tree. Amen? Jesus is the greatest gift given us, the greatest gift we can receive, and the greatest gift we can give away. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. Thank you that in eternity past. Thank you, Lord God, that you knew man would choose sin and rebel against you. And throughout the ages, Lord, man would just sin and sin and sin so that you had a plan before the creation of the world to send Emmanuel, God with us. That you sent your only begotten Son into the world, given the name Jesus, that will proclaim his mission, the Lord saves, that Jehovah is salvation. Abe in the manger only to fulfill a mission to teach us, to show us, and then go to the cross for us and take our place and die in our place, Lord God, and take all that judgment and wrath. And by doing that, my God, he prepared a way that anyone, whatever tribe, whatever nation, come by faith and receive your grace and have the hope of eternal life. Lord God, we are a blessed people that you've allowed us to understand and take hold of this gift that you gave us. And in our heart of hearts, we know that we now have the gift and promise of eternal life. Lord, we want to thank you this morning. We want to thank you, Father, that you sent your Son, Lord Jesus, in your obedience that you came and fulfilled the mission of the Father. And Holy Spirit, you convicted us and dwell within us to make us more like Christ. Lord, we thank you this Christmas season, but let it not end today. Let every day be a day of thanksgiving and praise and rejoicing for the great salvation that we have. And Lord, as we go into the various places, as we sit amongst the multitudes, let us give the gift away, even to the postman, if we should bless them, or the garbage men and bless them. No matter where we go in the stores to purchase food, let us give Jesus this Christmas season. And Lord, we just thank you. And we give you all the glory, the honor, and the praise. And it's in Jesus' name God's people said, Amen. 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 Praise the Lord. Amen. Thank you, Pastor. Praise the Lord. And that, uh, 
That message will be available on our website, which is how I listen to them every week. Um, 